I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And And this this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. (laughs) That was mine. Hi, 50-ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and don't give a 50. We are not slowing down. We are not putting on the handbrake. We are thriving and determined to live our best lives. So we're receiving lots and lots of feedback on Instagram, Trish, which is awesome. And we had a lovely message from Deborah Gates. And she said, I spent my drive to and from Melbourne yesterday catching up on your podcast. And wow, so enjoyed them and so much valuable information. So oh, thank you, Deborah. That is so nice. I know, thank you, Deborah. I love the thought of being in people's ears while they're driving because that's oh, when I listen to podcasts yeah. and I love it. Yeah, it I just, absolutely it, love it. Really amazes me, humbles me, and same. Yeah, I, I love to know that we're on the right track and we're yeah keeping people company. I know, I yeah, know, I know. It's really that, nice. That was one of the purposes when we first started the podcast. We wanted to keep people company. Yeah, because we love it. We yeah. love company, yeah. and we that know that feeling of connection. Yeah. And, yeah, and most women like that connection. Oh, gosh, and yeah. well, yeah, we keeping we thrive on keeping it. each other company. <laughs> yeah, we need it. We do. So Trish, we had a great chat today. Oh, such an interesting lady. Amazing story. Yeah, such a great story. So I have lived overseas and feel that being immersed in a dramatically different culture as a young woman helped shape the person I am now. It Mm. did. It was it was fundamental to the person that I am now, actually. So for example, I have a much greater understanding of Islamic religion and the cultural differences within because Mm -hmm. of my time spent in Dubai in the 1990s. And I'm also deeply, deeply connected to the friends that I made there at the time. girlfriends, because you're all thrown into this really different world together and it it is exceptional. I I believe in those circumstances the friendships you make are really fast-tracked. They are, yeah, Mm. they are. I've always listened with envy at women who have moved countries like more than once and have really interesting stories to tell because, of course, Mm. I was over there as a young woman. I was single, so that's really easy. But when you do that and then you also have family and you're trying to work and there's careers as well, you know, mm. it's there's a lot going on and there's a lot to do in that time to move and settle and make huge oh, adjustments. Gosh, yeah. Today we were thrilled to chat to Nicole Webb. She is an author, television journalist and newsreader who after a decade working at Sky News packed up and went to live in Hong Kong and then China with her hotelier husband and young daughter. Her musings, observations and experiences resulted in her book China Blonde, which have been described by Network 10 newsreader Chris Bath as a hilarious exposition of culture shock. I can just imagine. And I am fascinated by people and I love listening to their stories. Oh, God, yeah. And, you know, what an amazing story. Yeah, because she wasn't Land in Shanghai in or Hong Kong, pregnant, 
three mm. months till she gave birth and then had to find a whole network. Over yeah. There. I mean, Hong Kong has a huge expat community and it's very modern, but even so. Even so. Even so, there's still a I lot to adjust to. sometimes that overwhelm with how enormous it would be. Absolutely. Would be crazy. And she gave up her career. Yeah. You know, at that time. And so. then... Mm. When that starts to feel like home, she moves again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but that's where the story really takes yeah, off. So don't want to spoiler alert everything, but yeah. Enjoy no. our chat with Nicole. I certainly did. She's she, amazing. Here she is. Hello and welcome to Don't Give a 50, lovely Nicole. I believe you are speaking to us all the way from yeah. Singapore. You are correct. I am. We moved here uh, probably just over three months ago. So that is our fourth move in the last decade. So mm, yeah. <laughs> so yes, we um, we like to move around. We certainly look forward to talking to you about that, about your moves. That's going to yes. sort of make up quite a bit of the chat today. I was just before we started recording, Nicole and I were having a conversation about feeling a little bit warm, and I know that Singapore <laughs> can sometimes feel a bit warm oh, as well. Yes, <laughs> yes, sure can. Oh my gosh, it's actually. I think I've been um, lulled into a bit of a false sense of security because, you know, coming over at Christmas, that is supposedly winter. While there's really not much difference in the temperature, it goes up and down like a few degrees. But when you're uh, of a certain age, it all matters, doesn't it? Mm. Just so long as that aircon's working inside, Nicole. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Full blast. Yeah, 100%. Arctic, as I like to. Mm. Oh, well, mm. whatever you have to do to get you through, right? Yeah. And so, mm. Nicole, we love to give our guests a snippet of your backstory so they can get to know you. Uh, you were a journalist for Sky News. How did you go from a young, shy girl to being in the front of the camera on Sky News? Because oh you were a country gosh, that... girl as well, weren't you? Well, I was actually born in New Zealand. So um, we came over to Australia when I was a teenager and I finished school in on the Gold Coast. And, yeah, I was really shy as a child. Like I was that kid that was called the reddest kid in the class. And if I had to do a speech in front of the class, I would be just so nervous, basically, you know, I just ridiculously nervous, shaking, red as a beetroot. So when I decided to become a journalist and then a newsreader, I'm not sure quite what I was thinking, but I did make that decision at 17. And a lot of my New Zealand friends were like, what? Where is the, you know, the correlation there between that? But I think moving to Australia, you know, was a big, you know, it helped me come out of my shell a lot. How did that happen or why do you think I that think happened? To move countries, you know, you're a new kid at school, you know, I'm 16, you have to suddenly open yourself up to people, you have to talk, mm. you know, you have to, you know, let people know who you are. So suddenly, um, you know, you're out of your comfort zone, which seems to be the story of my life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I decided to become a journalist at 17 when the school career guidance counsellor was, you know, saying, what, what are you going to do with your life? And I always joked that I wanted to go to Hollywood, even though I was that shy. And that was never going to happen for me, obviously. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Was... I don't know, obviously. There's still time. There's still because time. I think there's still time. Oh. Never say never. <laughs> We've actually mentioned this. It's funny how many people yeah. think they're going to end up or would like to end up in Hollywood. It's quite a common thing. And I still don't know if I've let go of that goal. <laughs> I know. I think I was you know, hung up on interviewing Tom Cruise and I thought, well, you know, the only way I can do that is I'll have to be a journalist. <laughs> as sad as that sounds. Yeah. So that's what I did. And then once I, I'm kind of one of those people that once I set my mind to something, I have found over the years, I generally do it. So, yeah, but that doesn't mean I wasn't absolutely shitting bricks when I had to read the news and I really was and I still was that shy girl for a long time. It's interesting that you were saying about when you moved at 16 and you just, you had to, you were completely out of your comfort zone, you had to open yourself up to meeting new friends and finding your way and then that's what you ended up doing for the rest of your life. You've been moving yes, countries. So isn't it, it's that experience at that stage of your life almost set you up for, I would imagine, you know, greater success in terms of being able to adjust to the I very different so. cultures that you've lived in. Yeah, I think so. I think from the very beginning, because my husband and I have talked about this a lot, and I think we were both 
same sort of people because he came out backpacking from the UK in his 20s and we always had that kind of I guess yearning to live a life less ordinary and I remember feeling that as a child you know wanting to do something different I didn't want the nine to five norm that I thought that might have been so maybe you know I think moving to Australia I mean it wasn't very far back then but it did seem like you know of course crossing a big wide ocean when you're 16 and leaving all your friends and I guess I probably saw how that can open up so many new things and change your life that you know, when I wanted to do it again, while I was extremely hesitant and, you know, I didn't think I would be moving at that stage in my life, it all kind of snowballed and we've been moving, you know, ever since I was about 35. So <laughs> I was a late starter in some ways, you know, we moved as a teenager. But then I did move and saying that I moved all around Australia as well for my job. So it's yep. kind of, it is something always done Mm. and loved. Absolutely. Look, I imagine having to work so hard in a competitive industry and landing that coveted in front of camera role would be a super amazing achievement. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. And for me, none of that came easily. I wasn't a natural because I was that shy person. You know, I used to see all of these girls my age jump in front of the camera and just, you know, la, la, la. They looked so confident. That was never me. And when I got my degree in journalism, I set out to become a journalist. My goal was to become a reporter on television in a regional station. Now, that was just incredibly hard to get a slot back then because, you know, blonde young girls were a dime a dozen wanting to do that. I remember trying to get a job in Ballarat at Wynn Television and they said, you know, if you were a boy, a guy, that would be a different story. We have no males coming into this industry. So I remember at the time I just took a job in sales in a radio station in Rockhampton because that was the media, so to speak. Um, And then I just started making showreels and things like that. You know, I'm 20 at the time and Then I gave myself a year to get into a television station as a reporter and I would just send a gazillion showreels around, keep calling up these news directors and saying, is there any place for me? You know, I was pretty determined looking back. And then I moved from Rockhampton to Melbourne where my parents were at the time and I remember driving all the way to Melbourne, stopping at every regional, you know, city or town and going in to meet with the news director. And, yeah, at the end of that year, I was just about to kind of give it up and go back into sales or PR. And uh, the news director at NBN in Newcastle called and said, you're a perfect example of persistence pays off. We've got a job in Tamworth. And I was like, yes, I'm there. And that kind of started the whole ball rolling, I guess. And I was, you know, I cut my teeth in Tamworth as a journalist on the ground doing all sorts of crazy stories, then moved back to the Gold Coast, then eventually Sydney. And just worked my way up, you know, to become, you know, a presenter on on camera, which it was a lot of work and t- took me a long time. Great work. Um, we're proud of you. Like it just it shows great tenacity and determination. And this is a common narrative that we are hearing with the women that we do chat to on our podcast. The women that just you know, do the hard yards and just slog it out and don't give up. So your goal was to be on camera and you got there and you had, I guess, you you had that sort of that nature that was working against you just in terms of your shyness. So you had to overcome that. And then the other barriers about, okay, you know, young blonde girl, you know, the, the market's saturated with people that look like me. So I've got to set myself apart and you did it. So hats off to you, you legend. Yeah. Just that, you know, that, oh, that. I know. Looking back, I just think, gosh, what an effort. Yeah, yeah. I'm too tired to do it now, but I'm glad I did it then. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I could never do it now. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's the thing about being young. You ha- you do have that additional energy. Don't you? Oh, yeah, but I just I admire the resilient. You know, yeah, the just the knockbacks, just the knockbacks. Yeah, and just going, the no, no, I'm just no. Keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good girl. Yeah, and I think you know, I think a lot of the younger generation could learn from that. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they're going to be listening. Yeah, yeah. excellent. No, you set an excellent oh. example for them. I sound like I really do sound like a midlife woman today. And they would come in and say, um, "So yeah, I, I'd like to be on camera, please. No experience, no nothing. But you know, that's I guess that's just that generation." of you know it, it comes instantly but it really doesn't you've got to do the hard yeah yeah you, you hear so many people say oh you know you're so lucky you've had such a great career well no yeah. it's not luck. it's a lot of bloody hard work yeah good point yeah yeah good point mm. so tell us then so after 
all that hard work and you you got that job, you know, that dream job, and we're so proud of you for achieving that. How difficult was it to then step away and move overseas? So how did yeah, you, really. you know, how did you go with that? It was very tough actually. You know, I had been by that point a newsreader for about a decade. So to be fair, I, my ambition was kind of waning and yep. I felt mm. like I what I set out to achieve. So I was happy with that. Okay. I had met James, my husband, a year or two earlier on a blind date. And, you know, I was 35 at the time and he was in hotels and, you know, he did say to me early on, they like to move you around for your career. And I just shut that down <laughs> really quickly and said, you know, no, I've got this career. And, you know, I thought I was too old to be moving overseas. You know, I thought I'd miss that boat that, you you know, you do that in your 20s. Yeah. Um, but then, some, you know, a bit of a chat to my mum and she's like, you know what, you only live once and, you know, this is an amazing opportunity to go to Hong Kong at the time. And I was like, yeah, you know what, I could be sitting here in this newsroom for another decade doing exactly the same thing because mm. I didn't have the to step outside that box. So I literally took myself off the box. And, yeah, we decided we were trying for a baby and we got pregnant at that time we were moving. So it was all a big game changer, I guess. And we arrived in Hong Kong and here I was barefoot and pregnant, you know, no career, <laughs> oh, yes. um, which was a huge shock to the system because I'd always built, I guess you realise how much you tied your identity to that. You know, it's yes. like my whole life has been becoming that person. Yes. Suddenly I wasn't that person anymore. Well, who am I? Mm. And it did take quite a while to work that out, I guess. And having a baby, as all women know, you know, who, who are mums, that kind of you lose your identity for a while anyway. So yep. kind of just up to, you know, up to your ears and changing nappies and singing nursery rhymes and things. And James is meanwhile in a new job at the W and he's working long hours to prove himself. And, you know, I'm like, what am I in all of this? Mm. So it was, it was hard in those early yeah. months. And to think that, you know, at that stage you were also – at a point in your life where you needed those long-term friends and support network when you have a young baby and then they're, they're not, not there. there. Yeah. Well, I live – I have a similar story but I only <laughs> – I live remotely two hours out of Brisbane. But similar thing, you know, I had done the career – and then in my 30s, met my husband. It was time to have children. So, okay, well, I'm not going to do this and that. And then, yeah, you find yourself having a baby. And I was, you know, only a drive away, but still that feeling of isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. think it matters where you could be in another state. I think just moving away. Yeah. You know, yeah. Still, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. You have to try and make new friends and, you know, find all of those comforts that you're used to. Mm. Um, and a language and barrier hard. in the middle of that as well. Yes. I mean, it wasn't so bad in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and I cannot wait to get to that because, I mean, I've, I've been to Hong Kong multiple times and, yeah, the language barrier isn't that bad, is it, you know? No, so very nice. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But take us through the first day that um, your husband's James did you yes. say, yeah, that James went to work and you're there in Hong Kong, foreign country, new baby, he goes off to yeah. work, you find yourself alone. How did you go? <laughs> it was scary. And, you know, so when we first arrived, I was pregnant, so I hadn't had Ava. I had her three months after I got there. But I just remember being in our apartment or even we stayed in the hotel for six weeks and just looking outside at this foreign world that was kind mm. of exciting. Like, you know, you don't know a soul in the city, you don't know where anything is and you're kind of just looking out the window thinking will this ever be home and I would eventually I would sort of go exploring each day and I was you know I got bigger and bigger and bigger and I'd just be waddling through the streets you know getting lost and working up a sweat and all of that and it was hard I remember James and I had a few we you know we don't argue much but I think that's probably the most we argued was then because I was just probably hormonal to boot Mm. and he was off kind of living this new life. I mean, he's an extremely supportive husband, but I was still kind of feeling out on my own. Yeah, for sure. Gosh, yeah. And I didn't really want to go back into that news reading game once I had Ava because I sort of wanted to, you know, to use that time to have a career break after 20 years. Oh, um, but at the same yes, time, absolutely. It, was still, it was still hard and a difficult decision to make. But mm. yeah, you know, it falls into place, doesn't it? Um, I ended up 
meeting up with a whole lot of women who were pregnant and due at the same time as me and they were mostly expats and you know that first meeting is always so confronting and you're like oh am I going to meet anybody that is kind of like (laughs) it's like a job interview isn't it (laughs) and you just need to find one person that you can have a coffee or a drink so I went off to that and and, it, and I did. I did find my person, and you know that all helps. I think when you, yeah, you know, for sure. in that new phase and you know new country and all of that. I think too in those sort of environments that you know when you like when you move to Tamworth and when you're living in Hong Kong, when you don't have your original kind of circle or network with you, those friendships that you forge in those new places are just fast-tracked. Like the connection that you get Mm. in such a short amount of time is just so real and so strong. Very true. That normally takes, you know, years to develop. Yeah, exactly. And and even more so in China, you know, it's like you're putting these strangers down as emergency contacts for your kids, you know, within um, because you just need each other. You know, yes, yeah. So oh my gosh, and you're at that stage of your pregnancy too. Like you would have had your whole support team in Brisbane from a medical point of view, oh, not in Brisbane, but, you know, in Sydney from your medical point of view, well, like your obstetrician and all of that. I had to find all of that in Hong Kong and, you know, find a hospital to give birth in and, all those things. And I remember people saying to me when I was still at Sky, oh, my God, you're not going to have a baby in Hong Kong, are you? But, you know, and I would think, oh, should I be? You know, but then looking back, it was amazing. You know, it was yes. fantastic to have. But you mm. just don't know. No, no you don't. No, no. It's it's that vertical learning once again. You've got to orientate mm. yourself and then you've got to, you know, try and work out yeah. facilities and resources and things like that. And then, of course, there's a mm. friendship group as well. Like mm. you, So there's a, it's a lot to – it's a lot to – deal it's with a and cope lot. with. It's a, geez, I'm really <laughs> nailing it today. <laughs> I, oh, you are. I can't get my I words out. with you. I was <laughs> it is a bloody lot. And a kid. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Nicole, dear. you've gone through all that change. You're mm. in Hong Kong. Mm. You've had your back. And then, you know, let's let's spice it up again. What's the next move? How yeah. long are you, you know, when let's, do you then go, okay, well, we're comfortable here. It feels like home. Let's totally uproot that again and move on. Yeah, let's complicate things a little bit more. <laughs> and we lived in Hong Kong for four years and it was amazing. You know, we just came to love that city and we could have easily just stayed there forever, I think. You know, mm. it was just so easy to live there. It had everything. You know, Ava was settled. Um, but, of course, James was number two at the W and he really needed to get number one as the general manager. So we were kind of thinking, how can we do that? And obviously it was to move countries. So we put our feelers out for so many different places from, you know, Bangkok to Seoul to Bali, wherever, but nothing really came off. And then China at the time were just opening just gazillions of hotels. I think in one year, the company he was with then, Starwood, opened 80 hotels in China. So it was hard to avoid. So we... we staggering. Isn't that 80 hotels? Wow. Yeah. And Wuhan was one of those um, when it was very unknown. And I remember we went up for the weekend from Hong Kong to have a look and it was just really just culturally so different. You know, you cross that border and it's the great divide. And we said no. And eventually these other towns kept coming up and, oh, my gosh, we're like, we don't know where they are. I mean, there's 300 and, they, you know, there must be nearly 400 different cities in China with over a million people. And then Xi'an came up and all I could do was Google it and it looked reasonably attractive in the photos, you know, quintessentially Chinese with all the red lanterns and the architecture. So I said, look, we've just got to say yes and just get this done. Let's just mm. do it. Get the wow. momentum. We yeah, packed everything up and Ava was three and a half. And by that point, I had kind of been working part-time flexibly. You know, I'd started my blog. Yep. Um, I was monetizing that. I'd been emceeing and doing a bit of media training. So I had enough work that was keep, giving me a purpose, you mm-hmm. know. Yes. And I could kind of take that with me to China, have a laptop. You know, you can travel anywhere. True. So I was sort of okay with that. But, yes, getting to Xi'an, uh, you know, waking up that first morning, living in the hotel was probably – one of the hardest things I've ever done or the scariest things because it was just so different. You know, there were just no Westerners in sight. They didn't speak any English. You know, the culture was just 
worlds apart from anything I'd known. You know, a city of nine million people, but you'd walk outside and Ava and I were just swarmed by everybody because we were these two blondies. And it was really confronting. Oh, <laughs> and I thought, yeah. I don't think, yeah. Because uh, that that culture really is surprised and drawn to the blonde hair, blue eyes. It's just such an yeah. anomaly for yeah. them. But the fact that you can't actually communicate beyond sign language is incredibly challenging. <laughs> I know. I mean, how do you get your day-to-day stuff done, you know? So was that the trickiest part of the move or were there other things that caught you off guard? So many things really. I think just, you know, you venture outside and you think, I don't know, you know, if my phone battery dies, I'm cactus because I don't know where I live, how to get back there, who do I tell, how do I call a taxi, how do I get a taxi, what do I say when I'm in it? And it's just, you know, I started to learn, I'd started learning Mandarin already, but it was so basic. So I had to really fast track that. And, you know, just learning words were like enough, don't touch her for Ava, you know, because they were oh, picking yes. her up, touching her hair and all of that. And she was squirming and squealing and, you know, it was all very crazy, just people everywhere. And then, you know, people, their culture, you know, a lot of sort of spitting and on the streets and, you know, squat toilets and, and things that I just wasn't used to and not knowing I really didn't know a soul in that city, not one single person. So it wasn't really until I put Ava into school, which she was only three and a half, and they did nine to three, five days a week. So I had to like pick her up at 12 for a few months because I thought it was yeah. just too much. Oh, yeah. That's um, but yeah, it was at that point that a lot of the teachers were expats at her international school. So they sort of became friends. Yeah. And it was just like a lifeline. You know, I remember seeing a, a lady with blonde hair as we were driving through the streets, you know, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I just need to reach, you know, I need to grab her. Yes. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Where are you going? Oh, Where do you live? Yeah. I know, because even driving, like it's just the horn is just used instead yeah. of the indicator. So it's this cacophony of just noise constantly, just this barrage of horns going and these, you know, you get in a car and it's just everyone's chaotically driving all over the road five yep. inches apart. Yeah, <laughs> so, it just sounds like walking out the door would be exhausting because your mm, adrenal mama. system would mm. just be always mm. in overdrive, overdrive, that high alert. Mm. And it's funny you wow. say, you know, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and, and kind of just people grabbing your daughter and picking her up. I remember I was at my daughter Lily, same, blonde hair, beautiful blue eyes, She was about three and we had been staying at the Gold Coast and I just went down to Main Beach early in the morning, no one down there, and then a tourist bus came down, you know, and there's all of these people in their slacks rolled up going down to to put their feet in the water and then they saw Lily and, you know, they just swarmed and picked her up and I'm quite friendly but then I I got really freaked out towards the end because they wouldn't give it back to me and I'm like, no, no, we've got to go. So, I and, you know, and that is in my own environment or, you know, so to be – yeah, in if somewhere. If you flip that, it's quite, yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah. super converting. They are, they're, it's all very harmless and it's all of course. curiosity. You don't know that in the beginning. You don't know if someone's going to snatch her away and take her, you know, a million miles away. So mm. you just like all your senses are just on oh, high yeah. alert. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that many people, you just think if that awful case scenario happened, no. where would you even start? Mm. I know and I lost her once not outside but in the hotel and I just oh my god because there were doors out into that tourist area which was a huge tourist area all over China and I my the panic oh god me just hearing the story my heart's nearly jumping out it's horrible my children used to think it was funny because they were country kids you know well you know we live remote But we would come down to the city and just, you know, like Meyer and David Jones and the bright lights, the big shine, they thought it was hysterical. They would hide from me in the clothes racks. I remember being in a big spotlight store, Lily hiding from me. I got so panicked. I was literally walking around the store yelling, Lily, Gordon, this isn't funny anymore. And you know what? Hiding from me, the little brat. So <laughs> I'm running around the hotel, like screaming, "Have you seen her?" And she's hiding, not none the wiser, you know. Yeah, like, honestly, um, 
Heidi Go Six oh. still Lily's favourite game, and she's eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Look, I yeah, I can certainly relate. I mean, I've lost my kids as well over the years when they were young. They've made it to adulthood, which is great. Yes. But I, I can certainly Great. relate to the thank mm. you, Nicole. Thank you. I can certainly relate to the driving experience because I lived in Dubai for a few years, so the horn was used. You know, you know it's out of control. But worse still is I've driven. I wasn't driving, but I was a passenger in Cairo. Have you ever driven oh. there? Oh, it's terrifying. I th- I screamed about four or five times on just on this one trip because it, it is, it's the driving five centimetres. There's no oh, rules. They crisscross the lines. It is just, no and the horn. You can see that in the bar. You can literally, I could literally see what was in the car next door. Yeah. That car. Yep. And so I think I counted like 20 near misses on the ride to school. Yeah. Because we would the hour to school every day I'd take a but we were driven by one of the hotel drivers who didn't speak English yeah. so we're just in the back just like all over the place you know and you yeah. get there and you think oh my god we made it I need like a, a neurofin after that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough too oh it's my full gosh. on so Nicole you mentioned just in a lot of the background reading that Trish and I did leading up to today you mentioned China as the middle kingdom can you explain that what that means please that's just what they um um, I think the, the word for China is um, Zhongguo. I can't remember it. That's how much my Chinese is gone. But I think that means middle Zhongguo, Zhong and Guo's country, middle country. They gave that name to themselves. They see it as the middle kingdom, I guess, which oh, okay. kind of explains why they are like they are today. I mean, they are a country into themselves and they are amazing. You know, they were, I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the whole country was in poverty, you know. Oh, yeah. After there the... were no cars on the mm. roads. Still a lot of bicycles and motorbikes, but uh, that's why they drive so crazily because a lot of people didn't have cars. Yeah. You know, just 20 mm. years ago. You know, things have changed. Mm. They've changed so quickly in China. You know, literally buildings go up overnight. Same. So yeah. huge amount of people in poverty but then there's that huge gap between the rich and the poor but I think that's slowly closing that's interesting a fascinating country I mean that would have been a legacy of the cultural revolution that you know that 40 years ago like having such levels of poverty but you're right that does actually explain a lot the fact that it's like so much has changed, but so rapidly. I know. And then so much hasn't at the same time, you know, yep. and they are so steeped in history and history plays such a huge role in who they are today and everything that they do. So they yep. really try to hang on to that as well. So it's just, it was a really steep learning curve. And as you know, I wrote my book and that was just, just delving into all of that was just huge, you know, and I loved that. I loved learning about that culture and I did so many different interviews with locals um, when I was there for the book research, mm. um, you know, often I have a translator with me, but, yep. you know, interviewing just, you know, 90-year-old men who were in the First World War and, you know, rode a donkey and, you know, and he would see that they were living in a mansion even though I went to his house and it was this old sort of ramshackle flat where his whole family of 10 were living but to him he was living in a mansion and his yep. his grandchildren were going to university so for him china was the middle kingdom that had come so far mm. you know so i loved talking to those people about what they think of china and what it's like to live there for them mm. yeah. that's so interesting it is what, yeah. what, what i find really fascinating when i was reading some information on you and and various things that you've done is kind of your uncovery of the culture and your understanding of the the population I guess you know I know that you know quite often the western world will get frustrated with some of their oh, I guess you know manners or mannerisms or kind of you know the, the way that they are well, vastly will, different to ours yeah and the mm. way that I guess they conduct themselves in some situations but what I found really interesting and, you know, it's that remaining curious as what you kind of uncovered and understood and turned that frustration kind of around to an understanding. I think you have to. I think when you're in a country like that, you either have to be in your own little bubble and ignore it or you have to embrace it. Mm. And I think I really wanted to embrace it and understand it because it is confronting and a lot of it is, you know, their cultural nuances, they're so different to us and that doesn't mean they're wrong. No. You know, just because they're to what we do 
you know, like I say, they would spit on the street because in their mind it's better out than in, but then they would see us blow our nose with the tissue and put the tissue back in our pocket and think, oh, my God, that's yes. disgusting. Yes. Exactly. So things that we all do that are so different. So it was just really interesting to, you know, look through their lens, I guess. Mm, yeah. And they feel living in a communist country. How do they feel, you know, that they have the same president who's basically elected himself for life and, yeah. you know, what they the politics in the country, not having a right to vote. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. They feel, uh, you know, and they often feel quite different to what we do. Yeah, you know, of course. Coming up, I guess, that are more educated about the world outside. But a lot of them in Xi'an had never even been to Hong Kong. You know, when I said I'd come from mm. Hong Kong, you know what that was like but they they didn't they don't really go outside their city a lot of them yeah you know so all they see of westerners is what they would see in the movies or watching friends or something Mm. you know so Mm. to meet us was quite also I think an education for them yeah to see know what we were like I would go to the hairdresser and I'd have bags of shopping and he'd want to know what was in my shopping (laughs) yeah 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 it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it, it's just, it's that, you know, it doesn't matter where we are or who we're dealing with. It's just that remaining curious about the conditioning behind behaviours and, you know, why that yeah. is. And I found it really interesting when you said that, I think it was in Cheyenne, one of the, the greetings that they do is not, you know, hello, how are you? It's, you know, have you eaten? Mm. Which stems back from that poverty when people were hungry. And that still sticks, I think, with a lot of the older generations. Yeah. Have you eaten? That's the most important thing, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's interesting. I was in Thailand just very recently visiting a very good friend of mine and met another Australian girl who's been living there for seven years. So she's actually really starting to speak the language and pick it up. And Mm -hmm. she said the same, that when you greet in Thailand, the first thing they'll ask you is, have you eaten? You know, what what did you have for breakfast? Like that sort of stuff. They want to know, you know, those sorts of things are really important. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah. It's really right. interesting. Yeah, I and guess they don't in China they would ask you how you are, which is so Australian. We'd go, Hi, how are you? Just naturally, even if yeah. we don't for the answer. They would just say, Hi, like how but they never and I would think, why but they just don't. There's nothing for that in that language yeah. to, to mm. ask them. That's right, yeah, yeah. I would want to do small talk and say, How was your weekend? or have a great weekend and they just don't do that. No, so, no, they don't. Yeah, and it's yeah. just adjusting to that, isn't it? But as as he was saying, it's just learning, you know, the reasons behind that. And obviously, as you mentioned before, history plays a very, very important role in their lives and in their mindset and, and you know, the, the population and the people that they are today. But the more you learn about that, it's easier to live with it as well, isn't it? And live in it because you were living in yes. China. So the more you understand the cultural nuances, yeah. the easier it is to live with. I think so because it can be so frustrating frustrating and you just yeah if you can at least understand 10% you know it just helps so much more just to be in it every day you know because you know things like the hygiene and you know I was pretty much sick the whole time I was there but yeah you need to have some level of understanding or you will just go insane and you know and have those friendships that are just everything to you oh gosh yeah Mm. the lifeline Mm, your lifeline and if you want to hear more about Nicole's interesting story just hang on a bit One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We'll be back. Nicole, what I would love to ask as well, which is kind of, you know, not really about their cultural nuances, I guess it could be, but what were the things, the little kind of day-to-day things that you didn't expect were an issue? You know, like I can remember when I was researching, one of the ones to kind of 
point you in the direction where we're going is having blonde hair and trying to find a hairdresser that could actually colour your hair. Was there other stuff like that that just didn't even enter your mind and then you got there and thought, wow, I Mm. didn't think this was going to be an issue? Mm. It's just all those things, I guess, you know, finding food. I mean, look, I'm gluten-free now because of my autoimmune problems. There's no way I could have been gluten-free in China, you know, because it just didn't really exist. I think we were lucky that we were cushioned being in the Western because we were able to have access to things like cheese and salmon or, you know, some normal Western foods. We were very lucky. Uh, I know a lot of my friends that lived outside, they couldn't access that sort of normal everyday things that we as Westerners want. And just things like, yeah, the hygiene, of course. Our stomachs aren't used to the type of food and the way that it's cooked. So, of course, I was pretty nauseous for two and a half years <laughs> and came back with all sorts of parasites and things. Yes, um, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and as you say, finding a hairdresser, being blonde, you know, the hardest thing in the world and, and you know, I ended up becoming very good friends with my hairdresser who was so local and so Chinese but it was so great because we, you know, he was learning English, I was learning Chinese and we kind of fumbled our way through some sort of conversation and became friends and humour was a big thing I think that helped mm. us to gel. Yeah. No matter what language you have that sense of humour. Yep. It was just really just such an interesting time. I mean, orange hair and all, you can kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's fascinating. Hong Kong. I would escape to Hong Kong every few months and get a proper hair colour. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I remember yeah. we were visiting, oh, gosh, where was I? was uh, in Thailand and we had a function and the, the corporate group we were with had booked us into this little hairdressing salon for a kind of a blow wave thing. And I kind of showed a picture of, you know, <laughs> this kind of messy bob kind of quite, you know, modern look and yes 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 and, <laughs> and I left with I like this big bouffant, bouffant kind yeah. of daytime tv <laughs> days of our lives kind of <laughs> quaffed like, yes nailed it yes. thank you <laughs> that's awesome so yeah those lost in translation things I was thinking yeah oh God, they must be really with it she's all over this it's oh. interesting though about the hair I know we're sort of hyper focusing on the hair at the moment but I have a, a girlfriend of mine whose mum is was from Papua New Guinea. And lovely Sonny inherited her mum's like ultra, ultra, ultra curly hair. So she goes, yeah. she drives specifically to a lady in Brisbane who cuts that sort of afro, yes. you yeah. know, that because it, it is a specific skill. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, mm. even in Singapore, you know, they're not used to the, the texture of Western's hair and how it colours and how it cuts, you know. Mm. So it is just an ongoing yeah. quest to find. Yeah. But it's an important one for us girls, yeah. you know, like we, yeah. It's one of those things you feel at home, you know, yep. finding your doctor, finding the hairdresser, finding yeah. the suit finding someone you know to do your nails or a gym or whatever it is Mm -hmm. it's when you find those things that you start to feel some level of comfort and it starts to become a home doesn't it that's right how long do you think it took you for like when you moved to Cheyenne because you'd obviously felt very comfortable in Hong Kong but then moving a little bit kind of more rurally how long did it take for that to feel like home um I feel like I always say it's like a pregnancy it's nine months you know it's just <laughs> yeah like it's normal you know I feel like it was probably at least a year you know by yeah. the time I had met some really good friends by the time I could adjust and we were there two and a half years and you know by the time that time was up we really didn't want to leave in a hurry we could have stayed there longer because we had become used to it and it was our home it was what we knew interesting time it's just time yeah absolutely tell us Nicole about we want to move on now to your book so had you always you know harbored a secret ambition to become an author so you know at what stage of this adventure did (laughs) Did you you think yeah yeah there's there's a book in in this because it was yes. an adventure. Um, I think all journalists like to think they've got a book in them. And also I think, you know, harping back to when I was that shy child, my career choices were a librarian or a newsreader. <laughs> so that's kind of those polar opposites. But I, yes, um, I was thinking that that was quite a yeah. Uh, yeah, opposite ends <laughs> of the spectrum type thing. I've always loved books and, you know, I love writing obviously. So I always thought I would write a book. I just didn't really know what that would be about. And, of course, as soon as we were, went to China, I knew, you know, that, that was there was definitely a book in that because it was just so different. 
So, yes, that was something that also kind of kept me occupied while I was there to start that research. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That would have been a great project while you were living there. Yes, it was because I could really sink my teeth into it, you know, and Mm. and all of that. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, and I think just walking down the street and seeing something, you go, well, there's a chapter yeah. right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, I would do things that were kind of weird just to think that could be good for the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really strange experience, but do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I would imagine one of the first things he would have had to do is find a translator. Well, I actually used my, I had, I had a really good friend called Chow. She was Chinese. But she was married to a Dutchman. So she was also very westernised and her English was amazing. So we became good friends. So I would take her with me when I needed a translator. Oh, okay. So she was like, yeah. yeah. And that just, made it fun too. Yeah. Well, just in terms of, I suppose, researching and t- talking to locals, you obviously were yeah. going to need someone that was, you know, fluent in the language. And I would imagine that there would be a dialect as well that they would be speaking. Yeah, there is. Yeah, the Xianese dialect is, yeah, they say it's quite different to say if you were in Shanghai, you know, they, they wouldn't understand the Mandarin that you were using, which is frustrating mm. <laughs> because I would, you know, I could actually speak reasonably and I would try and talk to people if we were travelling somewhere and they'd just look at me like with a blank face. And I'd oh, like, soul-destroying. <laughs> Soul destroying. You think I'm going to go in and jazz these people with my man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and they Reminds me of the time it. I was in Nice and uh, said, "Excuse me, civil play and all of that." And my husband's gone. That was a bit Kath and Kim, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm trying. At least you're trying. Exactly. So, for those of our fiftyish tribe who also may think they have a, a book lurking in them, <laughs> what is your advice to people out there? What was the the pitfalls or the you know? I guess, yeah, what's what's your advice to someone who may feel like they have a book lurking? And I think so many of us do have a book lurking. And, you know, now I work as an author publicist and there are so many amazing stories told and by lots of women, you know, 50 plus, which I love. I think you've just got to write. I think that's the key because, you know, once you start writing, even if it's just vomiting out some, you know, words on a page, eventually you keep going you'll have enough for a book but the, the, the big pitfall as you say is when you stop or when you just think this is hopeless and put it in a drawer I think those that end up publishing are successful because they finished the book <laughs> so you've just got to finish the damn thing you know mm. isn't that yeah, funny also- you know at the beginning of the podcast we're talking about this young shy girl who just kept going and going and going and kept mm. you know knocking on those doors and here we are at this part of the journey and the advice is still the same. It's just get that momentum and keep going. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think that's what I realised looking back. You know, I had to write a keynote about myself when I uh, published China Blonde. And, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you do that? And I was working with a coach. And it did all come back to, I guess, the way that you apply yourself and the way that you just, you know, nothing has come easy to me. I, writing a book, you know, getting a publisher, that was not easy for me. But it's just... Keep going. Don't mm. give up. Mm. Leave it. Just you know. amazes me, these little seeds that have been planted, like when you were 16, you moved to Australia, you know, and then just all of these things that mm. just set you up and give you those skills that you're going to need. For the know, next chapter. For the next yeah. chapter. And then when yeah. you get comfortable, you just do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> It's like childbirth. You've got to wait for the pain to subside and the memories to fade before you do it again. And that's what we did. We came back to Sydney and were there for six years and Ava did primary school and, you know, it was great being back and doing all of that and publishing my book and kind of accelerating my career in a different way. And then we're like, okay, next place now, next stop, Singapore. Well, I think think, Nicole that Singapore must seem like a walk in the park. And that's why we're here, to be honest, because it's easy. You know, it wasn't like work. We didn't want to do another hardship location Mm. but because it was somewhere so westernized and easy to live like Singapore was really a no-brainer you know yes you know started high school so it all sort of fell into place yeah so here we are and it it is it's just you know it's almost like I'm just living in a different state yes it's really an interesting point you make because I love traveling and but I've always said that visiting somewhere as a tourist and living 
somewhere is completely different. So, you know, you made the point before about it's so easy here, but it, it has to be because that is your life and you need a purpose every single day. And if you're living somewhere that's just so constantly difficult for such a very, very long period of time, I would imagine that your love of that particular environment would eventually wane. Well, I remember a lot of people would come to Xi'an and say, oh, this is great. You know, we'd go to the Terracotta Warriors, we'd go to the Great Wall and I think this is amazing. And I'd say, you don't live here. Yeah. I live yeah. Time. yeah. It is hard, you know, mm. walking out the door day is an effort. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And day-to-day living is is hard, you know. It's not – and that's where being a tourist, it's, it's just a piece of cake, isn't it? Yes. Which is why I can really understand why you're just so enjoying Singapore. It makes <laughs> yes. it makes complete yeah. sense to me. Yeah, exactly. It is because it's just easy. I don't really – you know, the language is not a barrier. No. You know, most – you can get everything you need. Transport's easy. Yeah. We're in a house, neighbours catching the train to school. You know, it, yeah. it's really – Yes, you know, it's great. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes getting the simplest tasks done can be so frustrating. You can be tearing your hair out. And you have to be in the right frame of mind, I think, psychologically to yeah. approach. Oh, gym. yeah, yeah. You can't be having a bad day and then, you know, try to explain your hair colour, for example. To <laughs> right, stage, the right stage of life, you know, to be able to confront it yeah. and be all in. Mm, yeah. And then where you go, okay, I'm too tired to do that. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. One thing I'm really curious about when you moved back to Australia, that was just before COVID, is that right? So you missed being in China when the whole COVID thing was breaking out. Was it so bizarre to be back? I mean, it was bizarre for all of us all around the world, but mm. was it particularly bizarre from you? kind of being back in Australia and then a lot of the focus when the whole COVID broke out being in China kind of, you know, and and rurally and a lot of kind of fingers being pointed and conspiracy theories and all of that sort of stuff. Was that bizarre for you? It was. It really was. And I guess it was good timing, good and bad timing, because I ended up publishing my book in 2020, which was difficult from the point of promotional, the promotional side of it, because you can't go anywhere and do anything but it was probably good timing because it kind of hopefully explained a bit about what China was like and you know because suddenly people were all looking at Wuhan and yeah what you know what was China like what has made them like they are and this has this disease come from there and the way they were dealing with it and the way you know remember in Wuhan they just built those hospitals overnight oh, yeah yeah wow and I was like well that's what they can do they can just do things mm. overnight like mm. that And the government, while it's a communist country, they can galvanise the whole country and get them to do what they need them to do, which you Mm. really can't in a Western country where there's democracy and all of that. So there are ups and downs, you know, pluses and minuses to all of that. So, you know, and it was, I mean, we were lucky because I think if we were in Xi'an, we wouldn't have got out for several years. Yes. Um, And I have lots of friends were still there and had a really tough time. When you are locked down, you are seriously locked down and your door is actually locked. Yes. So, you know, it's really wow. tough for them. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Saw that. As, <laughs> yeah, amazing, hard hard yeah. to imagine, like, you know, here. Yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. we know So, I mean, that it once happened. again, we are not political commentators or nor do I have a vast oh, no. knowledge of that arena. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but what really interests me, I guess, you know, being a mother of teenagers who are all over TikTok, etc., and then the 60-minute story only in the last month or so regarding, you know, um, TikTok being a, a Chinese app and they're gathering all the data and they're getting more data than they should and they're denying that they're getting rah-rah-rah. So the huge big conspiracy theory, when you hear that from living there and having an understanding of the culture, does that raise alarm bells for you or do you kind of dismiss it or, you know, what what's your thought? Yeah, I I kind of do dismiss it a little bit, I guess, because I think they've been watching and collecting data forever. This is no nothing new here. You know, when just different platforms and ways to do it. Yeah. Me being a journalist, I suspect when I first arrived in Xi'an, they would have, I was told, probably watched me for a little while. It's just that I didn't practice being a journalist and there's no way I could have. And I had to be quite sensitive writing my blog posts, you know, mm, if they're yeah. not yeah. specific words. 
Interesting, though, that yeah. you were mindful of it and aware. Yeah. Very mindful. I mean, we used to always joke, James and I, that there was just cameras in the house and all of that, and it wasn't mm. always a joke. You know, probably quite true. Um, I know a friend of mine who was a journalist in Beijing, and, you know, he had cameras in his house for three months when he arrived. You know, and it, it is a country where they know everything about you. You have to, you know, hand over everything when you check into mm. a hotel. They know who's where, the police know. But at the same time, while they know all of that, it's also such a big country. A lot of it is just, it's just bureaucracy and it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, okay. It's like you would see, you know, policemen on every corner in their little trucks, but they were hot. Half the time they were kids asleep, you know. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. very scary on the outside. Mm, mm. But they, I don't think it really, I mean, yes, China as a government could be, but at yeah. the end of the day, just as a nation, it's going on all the time, but you end up yes. just kind of yeah. ignoring it. Yeah. Really. yeah. Yeah. I don't really think, I don't know. It's a tough one, mm. you know? And I, I, and yeah, I just don't think that I know enough or have enough information of kind of, you know, yeah, what could be done with the information or whatnot. But it just, it just, it, it, it's always curious. Yeah. They're going to make you think they are bothered and that you should be scared. But at the end of the day, I really don't think you need to be. <laughs> Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll continue watching Harry Styles on TikTok then, shall I? <laughs> yeah, we know about your current obsession with Harry. Oh, I'm, like, I'm not alone, Dal. I'm not no, alone. No, you are not. No, yeah. and he is He is divine. So, Nicole, what's mm. next for you? Is there yeah. another book or? Tell us what you're doing. Yeah. Well, well, look, I don't know. I am, at the moment I've just been settling myself here, settling Ava into school and James in his role and all of that. And I've been lucky enough that I have been able to, I started because I did my own publicity for China Blonde, because I knew the media landscape so well, I got asked to do some media publicity for other books. And that has kind of just snowballed into this full-time career. And ironically, it's probably the most suited career that I've ever done because I can do it from anywhere. I can do it from behind a laptop. I can do it from bed if I need to, um, but I'm involved with the media, all of the media on a, you know, a regular basis, So, mm. uh, and many of them are friends. It involves books, which I love. It involves writing, media releases and all of that, and it's a project, you know, for me, a challenge yep. to get that media for my clients. So it's kind of like the perfect job. I've come full circle, and that encapsulates everything that I've ever done. Yes. Yeah, which is perfect. So, I'm doing that from here, you know, with Australian authors still, and that's great. I did start a second, a fiction book, but I've kind of put that to the side for now because my motivation was waning a bit. So, you know, maybe I'll go back to that. Well, you well, you need to because you need to finish it, don't you, as you told us yeah. before. Yeah. There's time. <laughs> There's time. Yeah. Catch your breath. Yeah. Just keep so going. And friendships yep. and all of that. And it's just, you know, women's contemporary. Yep, yep. So... And we'll finish it eventually. But, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now, just enjoying this new life and it seems a lot simpler at the moment, which is nice. Nicole, you um, mentioned yeah. right at the start, you mentioned something about media training. Can you just explain oh, yes. that? And what is that part of being a media publicist? What is media training? Yeah, it's, it isn't. It isn't. If they need media training, I can definitely give that to them. Basically, and I did a lot of this when I was back in Sydney um, for a company there, and it's just. And then that was training a lot of corporates, you know, CEOs and things that need to um, often speak on camera, you know, stories uh, yes. in the media. It's about getting them comfortable in front of a camera, um, getting them, you know, to a point where they can get their messages across. Do that. All of that stuff, you know, basically what the media is looking for, how to answer questions. So, yeah, I would do those training sessions for a particular company and then I've done it just on my own for other people over Zoom or whatever. So, yeah, that's just all part of the part and parcel, I guess. Sharing your tricks of the trade that you've... uh, Well, you've created your own career, haven't you, in that sense? Like this new career, you've fully created that yourself. I think that's something which came to me in Hong Kong and I think a lot of women that get to our age you sort of forget what you have learned and what you've done along the way and it all when you've had a baby and you suddenly think what what are my career you know what are my skills I've just completely forgotten them and I was like that in Hong Kong I thought well I can only read the auto cue and read the news what can I do outside and it took a friend to say like hello like look at what you've done throughout your career producing writing 
producing programs, writing shows, writing stories, mm. um, speaking, all of those things, you know, you've got to remember all of those things that make up you as a whole. That's right. And how you can apply that to different things. And I think a lot of women, you know, from sort of 30 onwards, you know, forget, yeah. you know, mm. what they and what they can do with that. Yeah. So you sometimes take a step back and think, okay, where am I and, and how can this evolve? Yeah, mm, yeah. that is so true. Yeah, we it's a good point. had a, a, a guest point. on, a dear friend of mine, um, Nina, who is a career psychologist, which is really interesting and she has a lot of clients who, you know, get to that stage like when you were talking to your friend and go, you know, well, I, you know, mm. I can't – don't have a job in front of the camera, what can I do? It's like, well, hang on, what about all, all these things? Mm. And, yeah. You may have stepped out of course for so long if you've had children or you just get to a certain age and yep. you think your skills aren't, you know, going to work for you anymore. You know, it, it is about kind of rethinking, isn't it? What, Reinventing. What That's right. And I think, too, if you have the luxury of going, okay, well, I just don't like what I'm doing or I just mm. don't want to do that and then, you know, being able to, you know, I feel very fortunate to be able to be doing this podcast because it's kind of like, well, this is fun, it's interesting, it's new, we're et cetera, learning. Et cetera, we're learning a lot. But, you know, mm. yeah, to just to do something. Mm. Well, reinventing a, yourself, you write a book or yeah. you start a podcast. There's <laughs> two yeah. options. Or possibly yeah. some other options too. <laughs> and I think a lot of women hit 50 and they think it's too late, you know, um, no. to change yeah, and careers, it, but it's not. It's kind of like your prime, isn't it? If you've got that luxury, it's a perfect time Oh, to yeah. so true, so true, Nicole. And we're hearing that constantly. And you, you know, of knowing and... You can use that, I think, to yeah. your advantage. Yeah, well, 100%. You know, and that's why we do what we do and we love and appreciate, you know, beautiful women like you sharing your stories because mm. it just, you know, to inspire someone somewhere to go, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have a crack brilliant. at this. This is something that I've been yeah, wanting give it to a do. Crack. Give it a and that's what we did. We did. We that's did. what Nicole did. <laughs> yeah. We're just giving it a crack. <laughs> You know, we're going to break it down into our lowbrow selves. <laughs> exactly. We gave it a crack. Exactly. And I think Nicole would have scripted that into a Sky News presentation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, that kind of segues really nicely to our wrap-up question because we are unfortunately running out of time. But this is a question that we ask all our guests. So are you ready for it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a tricky one. So if you could go back in time, what advice would the 40-ish Nicole tell the 20-ish Nicole? Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> what would I tell you know, don't waste so much time on boys for a start. <laughs> yes. We can all relate to that yes. one. <laughs> yeah. That's what I keep telling my daughter. You know, go overseas, do all those things in your 20s, enjoy life. Don't worry too much about what you're going to be or what your career is going to be because it will come to you and when you're ready, yeah. you can make that happen. And, yeah, the whole thing we've been saying, I guess, the whole way along is don't give up. You know, keep going. Yeah, yes. dreams can through, but you've got to put the work in. Well, you are yeah. living proof of that. Absolutely. So, Nicole, we will put links to your book in the show notes. But how can people find it? You can go to Booktopia in Australia, Amazon. There's quite a few bookshops in Sydney, but it's all on my website anyway. So, Brilliant. you probably go to. Yeah, we'll um, put all those links in. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Such an interesting story. Yeah, it's really interesting. I could go back and talk to you for hours about China and, and history and stuff like that. But I need to send you both a copy. Oh, oh I, love I love it. We're, we're both big readers. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely Have love Have you got that. it in audio book now? I yeah. do a lot of driving <laughs> living remotely. <laughs> I'm a hard copy girl myself. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll post a copy to you. Oh, you're a treasure. So that's it from us today. As we said, if you'd like more information about today's fabulous guest, Nicole Webb, we're going to put links to her website, books and socials in our show notes. Don't forget to stay in touch with us. Follow us on Instagram at don'tgive a 50 or email us at hello at don'tgiveafifty.com.au. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you'd like to put yourself or someone you know forward to be a guest, go to our website www.dontgiveafifty.com.au. And while you're there, sign up. 
and be part of our 50ish tribe. Also, and very importantly, if you've got a moment, leave us or send in a review or suggestions of topics you'd like to know more about. Remember, gorgeous 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we're all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege and just being awesome is our right. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.